Forever I Love Atlanta, Forever I Love Atlanta, that is your boy. Some people call him Daryl Rayard Richardson, but those of us who love this type of music call him Lil Scrappy. That is his hit song from his 2004 debut album, The King of Crunk and BMI Recordings. is featuring Lil John, who discovered Lil Scrappy in a bar and was first signed him to BME. And it's the perfect song to welcome y'all into this Monday morning conversation about Sweet Auburn Avenue. What's up, Morgan Dixon, you there? <laughs> yes, I am. Salute. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm hanging in there, Morgan. I'm hanging in there. Oh, man. Where are you? I am walking in Washington, D.C., in my home neighborhood and I got back yesterday from Kansas City or I got back late Saturday night. It feels like a blur kind of, but I spent the weekend in Kansas City with some dope black women, a lot of them who are organizers for Girl Trek. Action Angie was there, Morgan and our Kansas City coach and Cassandra Coffey and a bunch of women in Kansas City who inspired by Girl Trek five years ago when we first put out the call that we were going to come to Kansas City five years ago, Cassandra Coffey was like, we don't got enough women who's going to show up. And she started talking to this other woman, Terry, and they were like, we should start organizing something so that the next time Girl Trek comes into town, like we got a crew that could really show up. And they started something called Black Women Get Fit, and it's in their fifth anniversary. And they invited me to the historic 18th and Vine neighborhood to speak and to participate. And it was so beautiful. Like, I really felt so welcome there. I love the people. The barbecue was bomb. And <laughs> I had a good time. And now I'm a little bit tired, but I'm back in D.C. Oh, how are you doing, Morgan? How was your weekend? I know you did a lot of traveling. You are a professional, for one. Because <laughs> as soon as I said hi to you, I dropped off because I turned the corner on my block and I don't got good reception. And I came back and you were still talking. And you was like, <laughs> you was like what about you? And as soon as you said, what about you? The producer was like, the producer would like to unmute your line. I was like, yes. <laughs> oh, really? We in sync. We in sync. That's what it is. Yes. Yeah. We are in sync. I told people about my weekend in Kansas City. I saw you at everybody's softball. I was like, what are you talking about? 
the Zodiac Motorcycle Club almost had me not going back home. Like, I'm just saying, that's exactly my vibe and for people. And they were so, I met them. Uh, I was literally doing my own little walking tour of Kansas City of the 18th and Vine neighborhood because I had like an hour before the event started and I hadn't been there. And then I first, I was kind of intimidated. I saw these guys with like these little leather jackets on, but I was like, I got to just pull up and find out what's going on. And they were full of jokes and they was happy to talk to me. And Pobo, who was, uh, I put a picture of him on my Instagram for those of you who follow me, Vanessa Trex and Morgan is Morgan Trex. He reminded me so much of my grandpa, Morgan. He was so sweet and adorable and just, he reminded me of your grandpa. I was like, but that's the grandpa in Kansas. I really did. I really did. I had a lot of fun there. And the, the neighborhood is so historic. I didn't know that much history about Kansas City. I didn't know that it was really like where jazz grew up. I know I started in New Orleans, but Kansas City is really where it grew up and developed a sound. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know a lot about like the art scene there, which is really big and historic. And just the neighborhood is needing to be revitalized, but is being revitalized. They have a historic black theater there called Gym Theater, which is exactly like the theater that we went to in Birmingham. And I was like, oh, uh, this is where, yeah. So I was just like, I was telling them how you and well, I. Well, I'm into that, Vanessa. I'm into me black too. theater reclamation. Yeah. Me too, me too, me too. So. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you're saying that about Kansas City because it's connected to our episode on Friday that all the exodusters went there first and Kansas was a cool place to be. So when people came from Mississippi, they brought the blues with them, which turned into jazz. So that it's all very connected. Our history, it's not in a it's not a mystery. First of all, Morgan, a whole crew came from Wichita, and they was like, we need you to land, Morgan, no! The weird out here representing Wichita! And then one of them came, and she had a whole picture of the Nicodemus Restoration Crew. And she Yay! got all their names and everything, and she was like, here's the picture of the Nicodemus Restoration Crew. Here's all their names. They would love for y'all to come out Aww. there. And, I mean, yes. Yeah, so there was women been from, out there. Because if they've been out there, we've been out there. I'm so grateful for our community. Y'all, I am I'm too. so grateful for you. Boy, we got some foot soldiers. They out there like, we got the pictures of Nicodemus. <laughs> I hope they Morgan. put them on Instagram so everybody can see. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, I or have it on my phone, so I'll send it and put it on Girl Check social so that everybody can see. Oh, that is fantastic. Well, you asked where I am. My voice sounds like Nina Simone because I'm back in Ghana, y'all. It's a long story. I'll tell y'all later. But listen, sisters making moves out here in these streets. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me come on and get back home to Ghana so I can make me some quick little moves. Stay tuned for Black History Boot Camp. I'll give you the whole story, but I don't want to derail what Vanessa got planned for us today in Black History. But I'm going to tell y'all, you don't want to stick around. I don't want to figure out. But I am, girl, I flew. I feel like a jet setter. I flew from California yeah. to New Jersey yesterday. In New Jersey, I saw one of our coaches. I was just walking down the street and I was like, she was like, that's okay. She's like, Morgan. I was like, Gail. Oh my God. It's, so it's crazy, crazy that you saw Gail because I also <laughs> ran into her on the street in Baltimore a couple months ago. Like, I just, oh like, God, literally just everywhere. randomly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, the whole universe is so connected, Vanessa. But, yeah, that was good. And some of you saw my Instagram. I got to go with my friend who was freshening up the Black Lives Matter sign in Teaneck, New Jersey. And 
it was powerful that he was doing it there because there was just a documentary on MSNBC called Model America about Teaneck and the riots there when a young man was killed, 16-year-old was killed. And that same young man's sister was there painting the mural with Shay. And then I came and we finished up and it was really beautiful. And I was just so proud of our community. I went there, I went to a voter registration by the Omegas, shout out to the Omegas. I went to a soul food restaurant, then I went to go see Woman King. Listen, it was like a very triumphant black day on a Saturday, y'all. So, Oh, how was Woman King? Did you like it? Vanessa, Vanessa. I acted straight crazy in the movie theater. I know I embarrassed Jay. I acted straight crazy. <laughs> and so every time they kicked somebody, I was like, yes, get him, go, yes. I was acting crazy. Because I was like, if you can't get crunk for this, what can you get crunk for? You're dead. Your soul is dead. I need to tell my man to take me to the woman king today. I got a lot of work to do, but I also am exhausted. I wanted to check... I wanted to put on Slack that I was taking a swap day, but then I was like, I got to do the boot camp. <laughs> and I'm like, take a swap after no the boot swap. camp and go watch the woman. Ain't no swap day for the revolution, girl. <laughs> Ain't no, no swap day. I'm proud of you for doing all the work uh, you did this week. I mean, in preparing yeah. this lesson for us all. And I can't wait to hear what you have for us about Auburn. And I'm here to support you. And We'll consider this a pleasure, Vanessa, not work, and then we will take the rest of the day off. And you should definitely go see the woman. Yes. Everybody Amen. should see the woman. It is the treatise yes. on Black woman power, Black woman sisterhood, African-centeredness, anti-colonialism. I mean, it is powerful. It is, Viola Davis, I am proud of you. If you are walking and listening with us today, I am proud of you. Listen, the woman was supposed to come to the stress protest. It's a little known secret. <laughs> right. At the stress protest, we couldn't pull it together. But I'm saying... I'm proud of y'all. I'm proud of the women directors and writers who were all involved in the movie, all of the actors and the actresses who got into shape for the movie. I saw y'all on Instagram. Like, I'm just so proud of y'all. So it was triumphant. Everybody should go see it if you haven't seen it already. Oh, triumphant. Okay. Yeah. okay. I'm going to check back tomorrow. Y'all tune in to tomorrow's episode and I'm going to have my review just like Morgan's. I'm going to find out a way to go see it. Before we start today's episode, though, officially around Sweet Auburn Avenue, I want to uplift a Black civil rights icon out of Boston. Did you hear about the story, Morgan? Her name is Jean McGuire. She's 91 no, years no. old. And this weekend, Jean McGuire, who's 91 years old, she helped found the Metropolitan Council for Educational Opportunity in 1966. She served as its executive director for like 20-something years. She was like the first Black woman who was elected to the Boston School Committee, and she was a big major part of the schools being desegregated in Boston. And she was walking this weekend, walking her dog in the park and was stabbed five times, 91 years old, this Black woman. And she's thankfully going to survive and she's recovering. But there's been a lot of news about it. One, just because, damn, like, where can our elders go for they could feel safe? And how does this woman who spent her entire life in service of her community is walking her little dog, Bailey? And they said she actually fought off the attackers, Morgan, 91 years old, because they were trying to hurt her dog. And, and so her dog is okay. Woman King. Because and because that's Woman Amazon Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, so she's awesome. going to I mean, be okay. Well, that's what I want to say. Yes, thank you. Yeah. But she's going to be okay in flowers? Her... Actually, that's what I was just getting ready to say. A couple of people reached out saying, like, well, does Girl Trick have a crew in Boston, and how can we show up for her? Her family 
said that they appreciate everybody's outpouring and that they are getting ready to set up a way that we can do direct donations to a nonprofit fund that's currently in development that will help to promote education of the children throughout the area. And they want us all to reserve anything that we were going to send to her so that we can pour it into this educational fund so that we can continue the work that she's doing. So as soon as they release the fund information, I'll make sure that Girl Trek makes a donation and we'll share it out with our community so that other people can make a donation as well. But can we do both, though? I mean, I <laughs> the family's wishes. I know we like to do stuff. I know we like to pull up with some seven up cake and maybe some, but I'm just saying also the family is like, we don't put out a statement and this is what we want to happen. And you're so look, respectful. You're so respectful. I, I appreciate it. But I'm just saying, Vanessa, if anything happened to you, we're going to send you some flowers know, and some cake please. and we're going to do the donation. That's please all do. I'm saying. Please do. And, I will, and I will be out there in the park also fighting. Like, I I need to feel safe in my own neighborhood. And I have felt myself feeling, like, emboldened when I do feel threatened. Like, do not try to approach me, man, or sir, or person over there. Like, it, has happened, it actually just happened to me yesterday. I was at my man's shop, and this homeless man came in right off the street. And I could see him coming so I rushed to close the door and he put his hand in Morgan and pushed the door and we were in a tussle. This is how, like, I, I should have called you because it's my friend. Like you need to know this information, but Mm-mm. I just, I just like the world is crazy and we have to get our woman king level of self-defense up actually shout out to Mayaku and to Wardner who teach self-defense at the stress protest, but we got to get some skills out here to protect ourselves. I think at the next stress protest, they need to be on the main stage and teach us all some basic stuff for when the homeless man put yeah. his hand in the door. Because I can't have you out there. Your yeah. muscles are slim. <laughs> <laughs> Your muscles are slim. Your muscles are slim. I was trying to get big like a bear. You know how when they say that the bear is coming, you got to get big like a bear. I was trying to get oh, big. Man, a bear. He was like, what is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well i'm glad you're um, be safe out there yes. i mean it's a good reason to have a crew it's a good reason to walk with one other sister yeah two equals a crew you can be a crew leader we have a field guide we have a whole bunch of women who are ready to help you just find your city just go on that city page on facebook and say i want to start a crew and i guarantee somebody will answer in 24 hours or you can just put your region at girltrek.org and email somebody. So if you live in the South, it's just south at girltrek.org. If you live in the Northeast, it's northeast at girltrek.org, Midwest, Midwest at girltrek.org. And reach out to our regional coaches and start a crew. Because, listen, sometimes, I mean, the Warrior King wasn't by herself. That's what I'm saying. She had right. a whole crew of people behind her. Right. And they were fierce together. So if it is sketch out where you are, just make sure that you're walking with somebody else and don't try to be the hero by yourself. Yeah. All right, all right. The first thing that people need to know about Sweet Auburn Avenue is that Morgan herself was a park ranger official so in wrong. uniform so at the Martin Luther King Center. We both moved to Atlanta from California. We were roommates there. This is part of the origin story of Girl Trek. And Morgan had on her crisp khaki outfit. She had the hat, everything. <laughs> and she was there so officially. Tell her story. So don't nobody ain't gonna say Girl Trek ain't got no receipts. 
And nobody gonna tell me to pop up on the scene, telling stories, because I've been doing I Am Black Woman spoken word since I was like 15. And Morgan been repping at the park service in her khaki outfit since she was like 20 years old. And this girl truck movement is just a part of the story worked for so so deaf and had on really cute like fur coats and like jewels <laughs> and, like, and like little neck cuffs and stuff and i had on a park ranger outfit that's what she's not telling you and i had to quit that job because i was like i ain't gonna get no man with this tight ass brown suit on and these little badges <laughs> i genuinely feel like if you didn't have to wear the uniform you might have made a career out of working there like but i think i would have it was traumatizing yes. that uniform it was not cut out for my thigh muscle my thigh proportion to my waist it wasn't cut out for that it was all tight please source a picture for us that's the most important thing i, I have it i have it ingrained in my memory but i've never seen an actual picture so i would like for you to just find a picture i don't know if i have one <laughs> There's some periods of our life where we don't got a picture of it, but it's like this thing really happened and that thing happened. No, I was in the <sighs> USC Trojan marching band with a big Trojan helmet on and I had dreadlocks that came from underneath and, and then there's no picture and I'm so grateful. <laughs> so grateful. But yeah. Okay. All right. Let's tell Aubrey. So Morgan, because you are a park, were a park ranger and are part of the park ranger legacy, I know you know the most famous story of Sweet Auburn Avenue. I'm going to tell that story in a truncated way because there's some other stories that I want to tell. But we're going to start here with the most famous story, and that is of a man named A.D. Williams, a man who was born in Greene County, Georgia, to enslaved people Willis and Lucretia Williams. A.D. spent his childhood on the Williams in Williams Plantation. He was unable to attend school because of the demands of sharecropping, but he developed a love of the word, of scripture, and of preaching. And in 1893, A.D. Williams took off for the big city of Atlanta from his small rural town in Greene County, Georgia. And he left for Atlanta and he took over a 13-member congregation at Ebenezer Baptist Church in the heart of what is now known as Atlanta's Sweet Auburn Avenue neighborhood. He recognized immediately when he took over that 13-member congregation that his long-term success as a minister would require that he overcame his academic limitations, remembering that he had gotten no education back in Greene County. And so in May of 1898, he enrolled in Atlanta Baptist College, which later was named Morehouse College, and he received his certificate from the ministerial program there. The very next year, he married a woman named Jeannie Celeste Parks, and he started preaching a really distinct social gospel is what they called it, which was based on like strategies from both Booker T. Washington and development from W.E.B. Du Bois. And he grew Ebenezer Baptist Church from 13 members to 400 members by 1903. That same year, he and his wife, her name is Jeannie, they gave birth to their only surviving child, a daughter named Alberta Christine Williams. And in 1909, that family purchased a home at 501 Auburn Avenue. Later, Alberta, their only daughter, would marry a man named Michael King Sr. And they would move into the home with A.D. And in that home on Auburn Avenue, Alberta gave birth to three children, one of them being Michael King Jr. 
whose name would later be changed to Martin Luther King Jr. after his father also changed his name in 1934 when he visited Europe Morgan and then got inspired by Martin Luther. Martin Luther King Jr. only lived in the house for the first 12 years of his life. They moved to another house that was in the same neighborhood but was later demolished. He went to school but came back and understood the importance of Sweet Auburn Avenue, and he opened the national office of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference there in Sweet Auburn Avenue. And his family continued to live and worship in Sweet Auburn Avenue. And as a tragic part of the story of Martin Luther King and Sweet Auburn Avenue, in June of 1974, Alberta, the only daughter of A.D., was playing the organ at a Sunday service inside Ebenezer Baptist Church when she was shot and killed. And that is the very truncated story of how Martin Luther King Jr. came to live in Sweet Auburn Avenue. And today, the King Home, and which is a part of the King Center, is one of the um, number one destinations for tourists who are going to Atlanta to learn the story of Martin Luther King. Are there things you think I missed from that story? That was Morgan? so good, Vanessa. That was so good. Oh, so good, girl. I'm about to get you a uniform. I'm going to get you a uniform. There you go. Let me put one out to call on it. I'm going to tell y'all about Carol Jean Morgan, my mama. You know, she was praying that I would go to church. Because, you know, back in those days, I was not church going, right? She was praying I was going to go to church, Vanessa. And then I had got this job for the National Park Service, and I got assigned to Ebenezer Baptist Church, y'all. I had to sit up in that church and listen to Martin Luther King's speeches through them cracked speakers for seven hours a day. I called my mama. I said, Mama, stop praying. I was like, this is too strong. Your prayers is too strong. I don't want to be sitting up in here all day. And then I had to go to that birth home that you talk about. I'd be like, good afternoon and welcome to the King Center birth home. <laughs> welcome. I would like for you to dust your shoes off, come into the family room where Martin Luther King learned to play the piano. <laughs> like, I was like not pumped about the job, okay? And I lived three houses down at 507, I think, or 509 Auburn Avenue. I guess there, I hope you talk about him. There is like a principal or something whose house was there and we lived in his house, all the park rangers. It was a mess. It was like somebody should have filmed it as a reality show. (laughs) Anyway, thank you for telling that story. Man, I hadn't heard all that stuff in so long. All right, what else do we need to know? And that story, Morgan, was originally the story that I thought I was going to center this episode around. But, in fact, I learned a powerful story about Atlanta's first black millionaire whose name was Alonzo and who was a barber. And I was like, this is the story that makes so much sense because (laughs) it's why I started with a little scrappy. It's why I started with a little scrappy because I was like, he was a little scrappy before a little scrappy was a little scrappy. He was T.I. and D.C. and little baby. He represented the heart and the soul of Atlanta. I was like, it makes sense to me that the city is such a scrappy story. So I want to tell you all about a man named Alonzo Franklin Herndon. He was born into slavery, Morgan, in Walton County on June 26th of 1858. Walton County is like 40 miles east of Atlanta. He was the son of his white enslaver, Frank Herndon, and an enslaved woman whose name was Sofa Feeney. Sofa Feeney was her name. She was an enslaved woman. She was raped by her owner, Frank Herndon, and she had two children by him. 
Once the emancipation happened, Frank Herndon sent Alonzo Herndon, his son, and the woman, Sofafini, and his other child away, of course, but sent them away with no money, no support, no help. And at a very young age, Alonzo Herndon was working as a laborer and a peddler, just trying to help his family eke out a living in the harsh rural area that they were living in. Like many of the people who had been emancipated at the time, his primary job was sharecropping. And he was peddling peanuts. He was selling like molasses. But he had made a commitment, Morgan. He was like, I am going to save up money and I'm going to get up, like start up from the bottom, like think any little baby song, any Jeezy song. He was like, I'm about to get up out of here. I'm about to get these suckers. I'm about to make it happen, right? So he ended up saving $11 and he left his town and he eventually went to Coweta County where he started working as a farmhand. And then he eventually went to Jonesboro, which is in Clayton County. And it was there, Morgan, in Clayton County, where he Hold started on, working. Hold on, for a second. You just said yes. two important things in the last 10 minutes. Shout out to everybody who got a certificate. Because yes. Martin Luther King's grandfather had a certificate. He had a diploma. A certificate. Had, That's it, right. it sometimes don't take a lot. And then shout out to everybody who just save up just enough to get where you're going. Just, just your $11 right. fund. And I'm That's just saying, so sometimes right. we make change making so scary, but really you already have enough. Do yeah. it. If you're waiting for a sign today, y'all, do it. Whatever you want to do, get that land, do this, do it, open that business, get them whatever, do it. With the $11, this man was like, and that was probably a lot of money back then, but it wasn't too much. <laughs> so yeah, like yeah. This man came and made his things happen. Let's hear, what do you do? That's right. He went to Clayton County and he opened up a barbershop. Shout out to all the black barbers of the world. You do such an important job for our communities. You are therapists. You are inspirational speakers. You are groomers. Like the barbershops are really, we talk about beauty shops a lot, obviously, because we're a women organization, but barbershops are the heart and soul for black men of the community. And so he opened up a barbershop, Morgan, in Clayton County. And he eventually well, became- I, I know I'm interrupting, but this is important. Yeah, no, it's okay. If there's a black business for sale in your name. It don't even be costing that much to buy these businesses and they go, they go under and then we lose control of the real estate. And I just, cause you know, Keith's barbershop was for sale. And I just told him, don't um, buy that barbershop. <laughs> cause it's like a historic barbershop. I was like, what you gonna do? Just be the owner. You ain't even doing none of the work. Let the barbers buy it. And he was like, well, they don't got no money to buy it. And I was like, cause I'm not comfortable with ownership. It seems exploitative. Just owning some stuff and then just getting the money for it. But I have changed my ways, y'all. I'm we glad you changed your stuff. ways because he definitely needed to buy that barber shop. Yes. He did. He did. But you know what I'm saying? I, I didn't, with him just buying the barber shop and then every day in there working and he charging some fees and stuff. He ain't even doing nothing. He don't even know how to cut hair. But I do now, now that I am listening to Black History Bootcamp and educating myself, <laughs> educating myself, I do feel like there is a role for infusing capital into our communities and a role for ownership, particularly of Black women owning businesses in our neighborhood. So look around, y'all, and if people are struggling financially, sometimes it's a matter of $5,000 or $10,000 that will stop somebody from losing their land or their business. Go in as a partial owner or a fractional owner. Yeah. It's crazy all, that you're part. saying that, Morgan, because that's exactly what Alonzo first did. At first, he actually purchased half interest in a barbershop that was owned by a man named William Daughtry 
on Marietta Street in Atlanta because he'd come from Clayton County into Atlanta and he needed to get his foot in the door. So he actually purchased half interest in a shop that was owned by another man there. And then he ended up opening up three more shops in Atlanta. By the time 1904 rolled around, he owned three shops in Atlanta. And his main shop was on 66 Peachtree Street, right in downtown Atlanta. And Morgan, it was outfitted with crystal chandeliers. It was considered the best barber shop in the South. And because of segregation of the time, he served a white population there on 66 Peachtree Street. And it was like the senators and the politicians and the lawmakers. And it was considered like the most high-end barbershop in all of the South. That was in 1904, Morgan. And I'm telling this story so that we can establish how Sweet Auburn Avenue got started. So in 1904, Alonzo Herndon had three barbershops. They were in downtown Atlanta. They were the most successful barbershops in the city and in the South. They were opulent. It was like you were really getting catered to there. Two years later, Morgan, in 1906, the Atlanta riots happened. A precursor to the Atlanta riots was one, after the Civil War and Reconstruction, white folks were just mad. They were just like, we used to get free labor, now we got to pay these fools. Now these fools trying to take our jobs. Now these fools want rights. And like, white people were extremely angry at that time in the country. Enters in a play that was called The Klansman, a historical romance of the Ku Klux Klan. It was first a novel published in 1905. And then it became a traveling play, Morgan. And it was actually the play and novel that A Birth of a Nation was based off of. It was written by a man named Thomas Dixon Jr. And it romanticized the Ku Klux Klan and it presented them as heroes. This play came out in 1905. The play opened throughout the country in certain cities, like in D.C. and in Philadelphia, there were people who protested the play opening. But in certain other cities, like Charleston and in Savannah and Atlanta, it opened to rousing success, sold out crowds, and it really ignited and incited the white people in the city to take a posture of violence. This is all recorded on History by Historians. At the exact same time, the Atlanta newspapers, Morgan, were publishing a bunch of false and salacious claims about white women being harassed by black men. Today, a lot of journalists feel like it was some of the most irresponsible reporting that actually happened in actual newspapers. So you had both this play that was released and you had the Atlanta paper that was publishing all of this stuff. And it all popped off in 1906, over three days, the Atlanta riots happened. 27 people were killed, 25 of them were black people. At the time, Morgan, W.E.B. Du Bois, was teaching at Atlanta University, and he actually went out in the three days of the riot, bought a Winchester double-barrel shotgun, two dozen rounds of shells, and he was like, w- he w- said if a, yes, and he said, if a white mob had stepped foot on the campus where I lived without hesitation, I would have sprayed their guts over the grass. Those were, that's on, a quote center. from him. And he Listen, said it was he... Look, he was like, I understand. He was like, I am adamant about the legitimacy of, and then he said, perhaps the duty of Black people to have self-defense, where danger is going to spill over. He said, we have a duty to self-defense. So Atlanta is 
engulfed in these riots and black businesses were specifically targeted and Alonzo's barbershops were specifically targeted. And in fact, two barbers were actually killed. After those riots, Morgan, oh. black businesses were yeah. like, we're done with integration. They was like, oh, never no. mind, this ain't working. They was like, oh, we don't need to be up in downtown Atlanta then. Oh, we don't need to be where the people don't want us. And there actually became a big push where black businesses started to move from the previously integrated business district in downtown to the relatively safe area around Atlanta University Center west of downtown and to Auburn Avenue and the fourth ward, which was east of downtown. That's why the businesses started moving there. It was mostly composed of small businesses, but Alonzo Morgan was a hustler. And Alonzo didn't just have three barbershops. Alonzo took his money that he earned from those barbershops. And in 1905, and I want to go back to the episode that we did last week, where we talked about the founding of American Beach and the Afro-American Life Insurance Company, which was in 1901. So four years later, Alonzo probably saw what was happening down there in Florida. He took his barbershop money and flipped it, Morgan, and founded the Atlanta Life Insurance Company in 1905, which still exists today. Six years later, another man came into town and he found a citizen's You're just like saying Alonzo. You're just I like do, saying I do, I do. Oh my God, I do, I do. Every man named Alonzo kind of look good too. You kind of got to watch out for them, but they also just look good. And he smelled good, like the clothes. <laughs> and he smelled good, yes. And so there was three prominent black businesses, including Alonzo's business, that made up what they called the three-leg stool of black finance. And that brought in all of the wealth and all of the prominence to Sweet Auburn Avenue. The term Sweet Auburn was coined by a man named John Weasley Dobbs. And I like to think that when he coined it, he was like, Sweet Auburn Avenue. You know, like they had it all there. Like it was meant to like really celebrate <laughs> that this was a, like a bustling place. And you had not just the business center there, but you had the faith center there with Ebenezer Baptist Church and Big Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church. You had the entertainment district there, Morgan, with Top Hat Club and the Royal Peacock. These are places that brought in the biggest black performers all around the country. And then you had the headquarters of almost every major and influential organization from the NAACP to the Masons to the National Urban League all had their offices on Auburn Avenue, including the Atlanta Daily wow. World, which was the first successful Black-owned daily newspaper. So I love all this. of those- I didn't know none I know. of this when I was a park ranger. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and Alonzo was a huge part of making it happen. So he acquired more than 100 houses a large wow. block of commercial property on Auburn Avenue. And he started getting a bunch of real estate in Florida and other places as well. His personal fortune grew and he ended up, when he died in 1927, he actually was the wealthiest black man in Atlanta. He didn't just take wow. his wealth and, and make money, Morgan. In 1900, I know you know what happened then. He joined the Atlanta delegates attending the founding meeting of the National Negro Business League convened by Booker T. Washington in Boston. And, wow. and when W.E.B. Du Bois called a meeting of select black leaders to organize the Niagara movement, Herndon was one of the 29 men who attended that founding meeting in 1905. Wow. I never even heard his name. Yes, and there's a, there, the Herndon House. 
the Herndon House that's in Atlanta right now, which you can go and visit. It was preserved by his son, who eventually took over as the CEO of Atlanta Life Insurance Company and grew it to like a huge, very successful business. One piece of information that I learned about Alonzo is that he married this woman needs her own episode. This is one of those things where you learn about somebody. So I'm just going to tell the overview. But he married a woman named Adrienne Elizabeth McNeil. She was a professor at Atlanta University, which later became Clark Atlanta University. She was white passing. Alonzo himself, because his father was owned his mother, also was very, very white looking. But his wife, Adrienne, who was a professor, was also very white passing. And she studied dramatic arts and she was an actress, Morgan. And she actually white passed as an actress many times because she wasn't allowed to perform as a black woman. But eventually she was just like, bump it. Like there's like no space for me in this arts world. And she really settled in at Atlanta University and she became a right-hand woman to WEB and a lot of the organizing that happened down in Atlanta, his wife was a significant part of. And she was actually his first wife because she died and Herndon married another woman, but his first wife, she started the Herndon house. She decorated beautifully. It's, it's a huge, beautiful mansion that people can still visit right now in Atlanta. One thing I want to say about Sweet Auburn Avenue now is fast forward to the 60s. And this is the same story that I told about South Central L.A. It is a story that urban planners. Can I say something and, really quickly about yes. before you fast forward? One of the other mm-hmm. reasons why Auburn was prime has to do with what we were talking about a couple of days ago around segregation and integration and whether we're better off before or after the policies of integration, because housing segregation was still in in effect in the 1900s, right? And so what you had on Sweet Auburn, on one side, you had shotgun houses. So these are working class people who barely either renting or buying their first shotgun house. And then on the other side of the street, you have this parade of like these big, beautiful Victorian houses that were people like the owner of, or like the, the president of the AU Center lived there, and like all these different people that Vanessa was just mentioning, including the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church and his son Martin Luther King. They lived on the same street as working class people. And this is kind of what I was talking about before. When you don't have doctors and preachers and lawyers and businessmen in your community, it's hard to imagine the possibilities for their lives. And as soon as integration happened, those people moved because our neighborhoods got rough. And if you can That's have right. a better school for your kids, you do. And so I just wanted to say that one of the reasons Sweet Auburn was so powerful is because our entire community lived together. And we, we weren't economically yeah. segregated at that time. Yeah, we weren't. And I ha- actually, one of the things I was reading when I was studying this is that even during that time when neighborhoods like Sweet Auburn Avenue were like raising up and bustling. You had the people in the rural communities who were like, this is like deruralization and our best and brightest are going to the cities. So it was, it was deep. It was just like on every level that there was yeah. like this. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That was happening. So Morgan, one thing that happened to Sweet Auburn Avenue that really influenced what became a decline in the neighborhood where it kind of fell into blight fell into crime and poverty was the completion of the highway. And again, highways across this country were used as violence against black people. And one of very down in the detail of talking about the highway that was being built through this neighborhood was a sentence that said there wasn't even an on-ramp 
or off-ramp to Auburn Avenue. So not only did they build a highway through the neighborhood, but they so didn't even crazy. put an on-ramp or an off-ramp onto Auburn Avenue, which means they effectively routed it wasn't for all you. of, it yeah. wasn't for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the highway displaced an estimated 30,000 residents. Wow. It forced dozens and dozens of businesses to close. And because there was no entrance or exit off the expressway, it diverted businesses around them, right? So like you just went around them to the other parts of the area. In 1992, yeah, the national- office. Somebody out here yes. better run for office. Yeah, because it's exactly the point I was making about the highways and the urban planners. It's like these at the city council level, at the city planning level, on the Department of Transportation, where people are deciding now everything from where bike lanes go to where turn signals are to where roundabouts are like it's on different scales. It's the same decision making being made. And we either have to be at the table so that we can be decision makers and designers so that we can be the people who say, ain't no way you're building a highway through this neighborhood and any highways that are even around this neighborhood is going to have an exit ramp and an entrance ramp so that our people can have business prosperity as well. Like we have to be at that level of decision making so that this doesn't continue to happen to our communities. And one of the things you said important in that sentence is design at the table and the ability to design. So for all of our college students who are listening, and we have a lot of college students who listen to Black History Bootcamp, consider urban planning, consider engineering, yeah. consider architecture, consider these, these sciences around the built environment, because that's where racism lives. <laughs> it's where racism lives in the infrastructure, in the actual bones of our country. So consider that. If you're a parent, consider telling your kids to to think about urban planning, to think about architecture and design, and then politics run for office, y'all. Yeah, that's exactly right. In 1992, Morgan, the National Trust for Historic Preservation recognized Sweet Auburn Avenue as one of America's most endangered historic places. In 2005, the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation included the area on its list of places in peril. But in the last 15 or so years, there has been a major push for investment in the neighborhood. There's been specifically a revitalization of like art and artist hubs and communities popping up around the neighborhood. They have the streetcars there, which are bringing more interest in people in. And it just continues to be one of those neighborhoods, just like where I walked in 18th and Vine in Kansas City, where it's just primed and ready for us to have a creative vision around what's possible. It's what I talked to in Kansas City to the women about who gathered there, which is that we can't be so exhausted, so beat down, so worn down that we don't have any creative imagination around what's possible for our neighborhoods and communities. And so it's part Ooh, of the reason say why we say it again. Yeah, it's, say it it's again. why say we it have again. to we have to walk, we have to care for ourselves because you can't even dream a world from a posture of total exhaustion and fatigue. You can't even imagine what is possible. But once we start to invest in ourselves, once we start to pour into ourselves, once we start to come alive, our own eyes will open up. And just like Alonzo, we will start to see in dark places, we will see light. In dead places, we will see life. In places that have where the doors have been closed, we will figure out ways to open them up. I believe that that is what will happen in every single neighborhood, in every single neighborhood where Girl Trek women are walking. I just believe that we have to 
feed ourselves enough love and enough care and enough community that we are in a position to do it. So that's my message as we close out today's episode. Y'all, here's a call walking. to action. Your favorite Atlanta rapper, drop this in his direct messages on Instagram this episode when it comes out and just be like, they yes. were talking about you in this episode. They was talking about you. Yes. I am talking about you. Atlanta rappers, we're talking about you. Go buy property on Sweet Auburn Avenue. Let's revitalize it, just like Alonzo did. Let's revitalize it. So tag everybody you know or drop it in their inbox and let them know that we were talking about them today and that we have great hopes for them as the leaders of our community. So, Yes. I love like that somebody's Morgan. auntie. That's good. That's good. I feel like somebody's auntie. <laughs> On that note, we are going to close out with some Luda and some Jermaine. Shout out to my so-so, their family. A little bit of welcome to Atlanta. Yeah. Welcome to Atlanta, jacking hammers and bows. Back to the mackin' and jacking the clothes. Adolescents packing the foes. A knock on the door. Who is it? I would happen to know the one with the flow. Who did it? It was me, I suppose. JD in the rolls and looters in the cut supreme. Skating down old Nat, gat tucked and lean. I split your spleen. As a matter of fact, I split your team. No blood on the sneaks. Gotta keep it so my kicks is clean. I get the cream. Cops see me flick my beans. I'm allergic to doc prescribed and a histamine. Oink, oink, pig, pig, do away with the pork. Only silver I needs a steak knife and a did you forget your fucking manners? I'm Bruce with banners. Ludacris, Johnny Rockets when I shoot the cannon. The woolly mammoth saber tooth, bitch, bite your tongue. I won't stop until I'm rich as the whites will come. I pull up in a black lotus, your plaques are bogus. So I stripped them off the wall, waiting for my cue to corner pocket eight balls. You racking them up, I'm big paper like pancakes stacking them up. In fact, I'm slapping them up. Cadillac is a truck. I can't lose with 22, bitch, that's what's up. Running in the back to fuck, better than the aqueduct. Chilling in the in the in the Welcome to Atlanta where the play is played And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning Welcome to Atlanta where the play is played And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters